my fault. Uh, I'm working with a new mic, so it's throwing everything off today, but hopefully it won't distract for the rest of the time. Good morning. My name is Doug Payne. I'm uh, one of the pastors and elders here, and I would love to get to know you afterwards. Uh, please introduce yourself to me, and uh, welcome. <clears throat> welcome on this third Sunday of Advent. Uh, we're going to open our time again in prayer together. Father, thank you so much for this time together. We, we want to... Uh, give you glory because of the the good tidings of great joy that you brought to us that you said would be to all people because your son came into the world and we gather here today some of us uh, wondering what this is all about but some of us are also here because you have turned our hearts towards you you've made us happy in you because of this this good news of great joy and, and so we ask that you, in your kindness, would turn our eyes towards you this morning. We praise you that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. God, we thank you that before all things existed, you have been from God, from before time, you, you have been. And you didn't just decide on a, on a whim to send your son. You didn't just decide on uh, hap, in hap, happenstance that, that you might do something nice for them and, and, and save them from their sins. You had planned this. And God, we want our hope to be set in you this morning as we come this, this Advent proclaiming hope. Father, we... We, we look to you as the one who has revealed himself to us. We, we don't believe that we could have come and, and found you on our own as, as sinful as we are, as bent towards our, our, our own self and destruction as we are. And we just want to thank you as your people for coming to us in, in the Incarnation. Thank you for what Christmas has to teach us about what you are doing on the earth, making yourself known to people. And we pray that you would do that even this morning. We ask that you would open our eyes to behold you, to, to, to look at you, to see you for you, for who you really are, to, to love and wonder at you. God, we do pray for... Uh, those who are among us that um, do not know you yet, for those who, who actually don't have wonder, but wonder if you really exist. God, we pray in your kindness that you would open their eyes to see you and believe in you. Father, we, we thank you that though we too were once in darkness, that the light shone upon us because of the goodness of Jesus Christ. Some of us, in a service just like this, some of us, someone just told us about Jesus Christ. We, we pray that this Christmas season, we would see more of you revealed to more of us. God, we thank you that as we 
talk about the gospel and the good news, that we're not alone, that we have partners in this. So, Father, we just want to take some time to pray for the navigators and, and, and young life, and God, even for our own personal evangelism. God, we, we praise you for, for gospel partners that want to see the gospel go, especially to the campus here, and our, our dear friends and staff and faculty and, and students. We, we pray that you would shine your light in that place. God, through, through the NAVs and through Young Life, we pray that the good news of the gospel would be both clear and compelling. That the good news that Jesus came into the world to save sinners would, would be both explained well and be compelling in such a way that Jesus looks as great as he is. So give our friends boldness and wisdom and gentleness. Let them adorn the gospel with both their words and their lives. And we pray for much fruit. God, we thank you that we're not the only church in this town. We thank you for Pioneer Church in Southtown, and we ask that you bless them as they meet. God, would you unify them in the good news of Jesus Christ, and would you help them proclaim it to their friends and neighbors and, and to their co-workers and, and to their family. We pray that you would give them encouragement this morning as they, as they meet and they proclaim your name among themselves. We thank you also for Northwest Hills. We pray that you would give them a blessing of, of revealing more of yourself to them. Let them know more of your love so that they might love others as well and they might glorify you in their midst. We pray um, not only for our own city, but God, we thank you that we have partners all over the world, but especially in the Northwest. And we thank you for this association that we have, the Northwest Church Network. And, and we pray for the churches in our network. We ask for Edgewood Bible Church. We ask that you would give them grace as they meet there in Edgewood, Washington. And, and would you be with Jeff and, and, and Chris Short as, as they proclaim your word to your people there. And I pray that they would be a light in that place, that the light of the gospel would, would spring forth. God, that you, you would help them, even as they have asked for prayer, that, that they would take membership seriously, that you would unite them with your love, that you would make them a church that is, 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 is like set on a hill and is a light to the community there. So I pray that you would empower them to serve you and to serve others. God, we think of this Advent time and we think of unreached people groups and, and Father, we think of the country of Greece and especially Macedonia and, and, and the, the Macedonian Albanians there that are, that are unreached for you, that have not heard the good news of the gospel and who are confused by, uh, by their the different upbringing and religion and God, we ask that you would send someone to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ and, and you would win out people there for your namesake. God, that the, that the light and life of men would come there in Macedonia, especially among the Albanian community, and, and you would give them hope in you. Amongst their suffering and their, their hardship, would you give them great grace? We pray that you would do that. We thank you that 
you've given all of these things to us. You've given your word. You've given, you've given the, 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 the season of Christmas for us to be, to be thinking about what you are, what you are up to. God, we, we just want to take time to even pray for our own state. We pray, thank you for our government. You, you told us that government is a gift from you. You told us to pray for kings and peoples in high places, giving thanks and petition so that we might lead a peaceful life and that others might come to know you because you're a God who wants all men to know who you are. So we pray for Governor Brown. We pray for uh, her as she governs this state. We pray for wisdom that comes from you. We, we, pray, for, um, we pray for an intentionality for, that would do good to the to people of this state. God, we even, we, even, we even think of during this pandemic that you, you, you would help us honor them in a way that, that, that shows the gospel is, is true and has changed our lives and that we think authority is good when it comes from you. So we pray for them. And we do ask, as we open your word, that you would meet with us. We pray that you would unveil Jesus, you would take the blinders off, the, the glasses off our eyes, that we might, we might see you fully and put our hope in you and trust in you. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning again for you. You have just joined us. I uh, want to welcome you. I just wanted to, before I started, I didn't know a good place to put this in my sermon, but uh, a resource uh, that I want to give away to you. So if, if you want this afterwards, the first person that comes up to me can have this. This is uh, an Advent devotional called Come Let Us Adore Him by Paul David Tripp. There's still a bunch of days in Advent left, and he, he reads, he writes uh, a gospel meditation for each day of Advent, and uh, it's just, if you want your heart warmed to the good news of Jesus, why he came on the earth, then uh, I would like to give this away to you. It's called Come Let Us Adore Him, and if you want to pick it up, you can get it uh, at Amazon or, or other places like that. So, what we've been saying, excuse me, I'm just going to move this, what we've been saying this Advent is that uh, it teaches us some things. Advent teaches us different things about God, but one of the things we're focusing on is Advent teaches us about missions. It teaches us that there is a mission for this world and for you, but whatever we think about missions, we need to put aside and let God teach us about what missions is. The coming of, of Christ into the world teaches us that missions is first about God. It's, it's first about something he does. So the mission is that God is making himself known to the world. Bef uh, before Advent and after Advent, we're in the book of Exodus. And one of the things Exodus tells us in chapter 9, verse 16, uh, is that the very reason he created Pharaoh, do you remember that story? God's people, Israel, were enslaved in Egypt. Pharaoh becomes harder and harder and harsher and harsher on them. Uh, and, and, and God raises up a deliverer, Moses, to, to help him escape, to, to exit Egypt. And one of the things during the plagues that, that Exodus tells us about Pharaoh, about this mission of God in the world, is that God created Pharaoh for a reason. He brought him to power so that Yahweh 
the Lord's name might be known in all the earth. There's a big assumption in all of that, though, isn't there? I wonder if you recognize what the assumption is. The assumption is that there is a God. Not everyone holds to that assumption. Not, not everyone believes there is a God. So some of us come into this space with questions. Is there a God? A question some of you might be asking or have asked in the past. And if there is a God, how might I know him? Can I know him? I see all this stuff. Why is it here? Can I know the person behind all this stuff? Or is there even a person behind it? If there is a God, how does he make sense of all that's going on? Some would say that's a stupid question. Of course, there is no God. He was, he was invented by early man to try to make say, sense of all the, the fear and, and being afraid uh, in, in, our, you know, in our early history. I just want to ask you, if you do believe that, or you have friends that believe that, I want to ask this, this question, or I, I want to make this statement and then ask you another question. If you believe that God was just invented by man to make sense of the hardness of this world, you still have not explained away God. Like, this, how, how, did, how did man get here? How, how did man get here? Through evolutionary processes? Well, if, if that's your answer, then, then how did the stuff that made man and the world and the universe, how did that stuff get here? There must be something eternal, right? Even, even some of the staunchest atheists, or maybe at least agnostics, admit that. There, something has to be eternal. Something or someone started it all. And people have given, you know, this have given God, or what they call the eternal, different names. Aristotle called God the unmoved mover, the, the uncaused, or the first cause, right? Agnostics say there, you know, there, there's, there may be a God, I just don't know. How, no one can know. Atheists seem, seem certain that there is no God, but Romans 1 tells us that um, actually in their heart of hearts, they know that there is a God. Is there a God, and how can he be known? Your friends, Advent, Christmas, answers these questions. And we're going to look at the Gospel of John. The Apostle John answers these questions in his Gospel called the Gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was one of the 12 apostles, one of the three that were closest with him. They were with him more than the 12. They saw him in his, in his glory when they went up to the mountain and they saw him transfigured. They, they were with him and they were close to him. He took them off to pray. He, John, was one that was close with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, one of the three. And he wrote the gospel. Some have called, some have called it a passion narrative. John, uh, well, all the gospels actually are passion narratives with, with a long introduction. So a passion narrative is not a romantic novel. Maybe that's what you were thinking, but it's not. It's you know that you see in the bookstore with the 
you know, the guy who's all ripped. And it's not that, okay? I just put that in your head, but it's not that. The passion refers to the last week of Jesus' life when he was betrayed, arrested, and tried under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified as a criminal and buried in a borrowed tomb. And that, that last week is called the Passion Week but because it, it followed what happened to the Paschal Lamb, the, the Lamb during Passover. The Lamb was, was, was killed. The sins were put on the, the Lamb, and the Lamb was killed in place of the offerer. Now, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote about his close friend and Savior, Jesus. He ascended back to heaven, and John is now is retelling his story. And John tells us exactly why he writes in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So John, as an apostle and an evangelist, writes about the good news, this good, great tidings of good tidings of great joy of God making himself known in Jesus Christ. What's his heart for his people? He wants them to believe and have life in his name. The way he does that is by making himself known. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. So we're going to dive in to the Christmas story, starting in John 1, 1 through 5. John is in the second half of the Christian Bible. It's the fourth book in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Hear God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's word. So... We're going to talk about two things here. Uh, this, this God making himself known to us, that there was a God, right? So the, we're arguing from Scripture that there was a God, and he is someone who wants to be known and made known. He's someone who wants to be known and made known, and, and we're going to see he does that. How do we know he wants to be known and made known? He reveals himself, the God who wants to be known and made known, reveals himself, in 1 through 5, and he becomes flesh in 14 through 18. So you have questions. Is there a God? Is he good? Christmas tells us there is a God. And John begins his gospel not with once upon a time, right? Or, or this story is about Jesus, but in the beginning, the Word. In the beginning, 
the word, and you notice it's capitalized. Have you ever read these words before somewhere else in Scripture? In the beginning? John is picking up lines from the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. And his Jewish readers would have, would, have, would have known this. They would have been familiar with these words. His readers would have known he was borrowing words from Moses at the beginning of the Bible. They may have winced a little bit at the rest of the phrase, the in the beginning was the word. But the Jew, his Jewish readers, he was inviting them to think about what they thought they knew, but didn't know. His Jewish readers, you know, religious readers of the Bible, people who grew up in church, like a lot of us, thought they knew, but didn't know that there was, they thought they knew, and they knew that there was one God, but they had no idea that he existed in three persons. They thought they knew that God created everything by his word. But what they didn't know was the word was a person. So with this choice of phrase, he both engages his Jewish readers and his Greek readers. I borrow a lot from my my old pastor, Ryan Welsh, in this sermon. He, um, he He said this, Greek philosophy was always looking for answers from autonomous reason. Right? And so when John uses the, the word word, which is the word logos, logos came to be thought of as an impersonal force that keeps everything in line, that holds everything together. But it's unknowable. It's, it's, it's there, but you can't really know it. So the word logos, mean, meaning inner thought or, or reason or logic or message, uh, you, you college students, you, you know this without maybe even knowing you know it. That word, logos. The, the, you know the word at, each, at the end of each of the disciplines, L-O-G-Y. That's, it's from this word. It means the study of. So psychology. It's the study of the psyche. Biology. The study of, of bios, of living organisms. Epistemology, the study of knowledge. Theology, the study of God. So the Jews had an understanding of God that was monotheistic, creator of everything, and that he had, he had chosen these Jewish people and he had given them rules, and ten commandments to live by. But the Greeks believed, for the most part, that there was, there was something or someone there behind everything that created it all, but that thing or person could not really be known. Basically, it was deism's parent. Deism is that, you know, God put everything in motion, but then stepped back, and you can't really know who he is. But John comes to affirm that, yes, there is an eternal being behind it all, and he is the word, the logos. The logos, the word, was God. He was with God, and he was God. And in in verses 2 through 5, John goes on to tell us what all of this means. You know, maybe you're you're here like I said before, and you're just wondering if there is a God at all. John, this Christmas season, says yes, and he is the Word. 
And in verse 2, he goes on to tell us that he was in the beginning with God. He's, he is eternal. He, he is an eternal being. He's always been there. But did you notice the first word of verse 2? The word is personified. It's, a, it's the word becomes a he. He personifies God in the same way as the, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament personifies God as, as, as creating, as, as, as being a woman in, in the street calling out. So it, it, it's meant to help us, to those who struggle with, with a God who feels distant and impersonal at times. The word, the creator of the universe, is, is not just an abstract concept. He's a person. This Christmas time when you can feel lonely and sad without knowing why. John is telling us that the person, the beginning of it all, the, the word, the one behind it all, is a person. Not an impersonal force that made the world, but a person who created everything. Verse 3 says, he created all things, all things, nothing that was made, that you see, that was made, was made without him. He's not only telling believers to believe in the Genesis account, he is saying that God had an agent way back at the creation of the world. That means he existed before the world and time began, and that agent was the word, and he was with God, and he was God. There, there was nothing the, wor the word made everything, and without him, nothing was made. Th this is good news and bad news, friends, for us. Because in one sense, it's good news, because doesn't it seem right that this beautiful, extremely complex world and everything in it should be created by a person and not a force? Doesn't that seem right? Isn't that good? But if it is true that all of this was created by a person, that it is, it is right and it is, it is good, it is his right, his duty and privilege to command obedience, to tell his creation how they should be and how they should live. And that's bad news because all of us have disobeyed. We, we know that, that we've rebelled against how we were supposed to be created. And friends, nearly everything about our current age tells us that we are autonomous beings. And that to be truly human is to be your authentic self. And, and what people mean by being your authentic self is to do whatever you feel is right. There's no objective authority except to live as you please and to let others do the same. And in its place of authority... Uh, th this new belief, this, this spirit of the age puts in, its, in authority's place a naivete about dark, the darkness of sinful humans. And this text reminds us that the true authentic self is a created being under the authority, under the good authority of a creator. This text throws the gauntlet down by saying there is nothing that exists, whether seen or unseen, that was not created by the word. 
And that word is a person, and that person has authority over you, and it's good. Our, our minds should go back to Genesis 1. Everything he created was very good. The word wants to be known as a person. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this. Friends, I'm asking you, do not leave today with hearing about how you can know him. I would love to talk to you about how you can know him. The first step to that is to admit that God exists. That he is. There's a, I want to recommend to you, if you are not a Christian, or if, you're, if, if you have a friend who's an atheist or, or, or is, wants to talk to them, or you want to talk to them about why God might exist, I encourage you reading Tim Keller, The, the Reason for God. Just open it up. And you, you might not agree with everything in there, but uh, there are reasons for God. If, if you are in that place where you're not sure about God, I, w- I would love to give this book to you or, or read it with you. Um, but, but this is the first place to start, is that is to admit that, well, maybe there's at least a possibility for God. But verses 4 and 5 go on to say that, that not only is the word a person, but that life emanates from him. He has life in himself, so that life is not just a thing or an abstract concept. Life is a person. John reports for us later on in the gospel that Jesus said so much about himself. In John 6, 35, he said that I am the way, I am the bread of life. And this is the story after Jesus feeds the 5,000 and the crowds want to make him king. Jesus told them the sign of the bread, of, of multiplying the bread and giving the bread to them, there was a greater reality. The bread was going to perish with them. The bread they ate would perish with them. But he himself was the bread of life. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples that he did not want their hearts to be troubled because he was about to go away. This is his farewell discourse. And, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. But that they knew where he was going. And Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas, he, he pipes up and he says, Lord, We do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in John 11, maybe the most powerful reference to life in John, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Is his good friend Lazarus, Mary and Martha. Lazarus died and his sisters are, they're sad, but they're, they're also a little miffed at Jesus that he wasn't there. And before Jesus resurrects Lazarus from the dead, he tells Mary and Martha, he tells his sisters that the resurrection is not merely an event. The resurrection is a person and that person is him. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that life was lighting up the world, friends, in verses 4 and 5. The Word who has made flesh 
had life in himself. We only have life because he is life. And that life shines into darkness. Maybe your notions of God are much like the first readers of John's gospel. Maybe you believe there is a God, but he is like an overbearing father that has a bunch of rules. Maybe you're like the Jewish people. He, he seems harsh and heavy-handed and mean. Or, or you think that as long as I do the right things, I make the sacrifice, I obey the rules, I'll be fine with God. Or maybe you think God is not a person at all, but a unifying force that you need to get in tune with. John is saying that's all wrong, friends. That's, we, we have it all wrong. The first readers did, and, and so do we. It's all darkness. Understand what John is saying and, and what Christians believe. God breaks all categories of religion and philosophy. He is not just the creator God. He overcomes the darkness. He's the hero that has come to save the day. He is the Savior. My friend said he, he has put religion to an end. But many think that that's what Christianity is, just another religion. But Jesus is saying, no, this is not another religion. This is all about me. I am the Savior of the world. I have come to shine light into the darkness. I, I've come to overcome it. Not only, so how do we know that he, that is this God, wants to be known and made known? Not only by revealing himself as, as the word, as, as God, as a, as a person, as, as life and the light, he also shows us that he wants to be known and made known by becoming flesh. John 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is an absolute shocker. Friends, this is a, this is a, this is a bomb dropped on us right here if we're thinking rightly about it. This is like George Lucas's second Star Wars film that I watched for the first time in 2021. I know, right? That's, it's almost unbelievable that I haven't watched it since before. Empire Strikes Back. You remember, Darth Vader and Luke are fighting, and, and, and finally, it, Luke is going, looks like he is going to win, but Luke finds out that he had been training to become a Jedi like the father he never knew. But that, that Anakin Skywalker had gone over to the dark side and become Darth Vader. I am your father. It's that kind of bombshell. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. None of the readers of this book would have seen this coming. None of them. Religious people like the Jews wouldn't expect God to do this. He's a God of rules and expectations. You, you keep them and you earn life. That's how it works. The secular philosophers like the Greeks would not have expected God to be like this. 
See, we are on our own, all of us, to figure it out on our own. But Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt. God became man. Friends, this word is pregnant with meaning for the Jews. This this word, it pictured the tabernacle or a tent. Literally, this word means he pitched his tabernacle or lived in his tent. This, this was the place, the, the tent, the tabernacle, was the place where God dwelt with his people in the Old Testament. In Exodus, uh, th- this is called the tent of meetings. When, when God led them, the Israelites, out of Egypt, his own people out of Egypt in a, in a pillar of fire and a, and a pillar of cloud, he dwelt with his people that way, but he was before them and behind them, leading them and, and, and then defending them. But as they wandered in the wilderness, the, the Lord showed up to meet with them in a tent, in a tent of meetings in Exodus 33. And God would, would talk to Moses face to face. And as when Moses talked to God this way, he, he, he couldn't, the Lord had to veil himself in some way, but even when he did, Moses' face shined. God has come to dwell with man in a tent, in a tabernacle. And, and those tents and tabernacles are just pointers to the, the greater fulfillment of God coming in the flesh to live with man in the person of Jesus. This is what Christmas is all about, friends. This is what Advent is telling us. God is not just the creator of everything. He is a person He's the light and life of this world, and he came to dwell with you. He came to be with you. Though the world rebelled against its creator, you and I rebelled against our creator. The king God sent his son to live with us so that we might have life. Friend, have you considered that you will die one day? And that if the Bible is true, that you will spend eternity somewhere. And all who reject him, he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. And you will be eternally unknown and punished in hell because of your sins and your rejection of the light. However, Christmas tells us that he became known so that you could be eternally known. Forever known by the word. The, the way that can happen is because the word became flesh. And what he's calling you to, friend, is to repent of your sins and trust only in the work of Christ. Only in his life is sacrificial death on the cross. In his resurrecting from the dead and ascending to the Father and sending the Spirit, you can have life. You don't have to wait to talk to anybody. You could do it right now. You can pray to him in the quietness of your own soul and heart, and you can ask him to forgive you, and he will do that. This is what Christmas 
is all about God becoming man so that you might return to God, have a relationship with him, and be eternally known. This is why he wants to be known. And friends, next in, in verse 14, John distinguishes this logos, the word who became flesh, as the son. And not just any son. He was the only son from the father. He was the one-of-a-kind son, the, the one and only son. This is, uh, this, you're not supposed to do this. The preaching classes tell you not to do it, so I don't know why I'm doing it. But it's this, the word is monogenate. It's like my only son, only child. And God has other sons, but Jesus is the only natural son. He's a one-of-a-kind son. He's not a son of God like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, he's not just a son of God. He does not become God, like the Mormons teach. He is the only, one and only son of God. He is the God who does not become God. He is the God who became man, who became flesh, the one and only son. And Moses wants, you know, when Moses was uh, leading his people in the wilderness, he asked God to show him his glory. He wanted to see the glory of God, and he wanted God's presence to dwell with his people. And Jesus, you know, God said, look, I, I will let you see in the cleft of a rock, you can see my back parts as I pass by you. But friends, in Jesus, we get the answer to Moses' prayer, show me your glory. Jesus is the purpose of God's mission for creating the world. That's to make him known. We celebrate Christmas because God showed up in the flesh. He, that Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15 tells us. He exactly represents him. He was the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1 tells us. God sending Jesus answered the question of how one gets back to God. Jesus full of grace and truth, is the way back. In the incarnation, that's Jesus coming to flesh. We call it the incarnation. That's what Christmas is all about, God becoming flesh. In him, all the hopes and fears of all the years are met in him. And the way we get back to God is by God coming to us. God, come in the flesh, put an end to the sacrificing, to the rule-keeping, to the offering, to the working to find favor with him. So let's read it again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Friends, this Christmas time, it tells us that God is giving grace in place of grace. See, grace upon grace maybe should be translated grace instead of grace. The, the word behind it actually is almost always translated instead of, in place of, in verse 16. But verse 17, it, I think, explains what verse 16 is trying to tell us. For we all, hit, we, from his fullness, we have received grace instead of grace. Because the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And now we see the word finally revealed in the person of Jesus the Messiah. And it is Jesus the Messiah who was bringing grace that was to replace the law. The law was a, a grace in itself. It revealed God's character, revealed exactly who he was. But the, the hard part about it was there, there was nothing wrong with the law in itself, but using the law to attain salvation was the fatal flaw. And God replaced gra the grace of the law with the fullness of grace himself. And he gives us, John gives us his name. The one who brought the grace and truth was Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side, but Jesus has made him known. So what is Christmas all about? It is about God coming in the flesh. God giving grace instead of grace. God inviting you into his family by giving his own son on your behalf. So what will you do with the word made flesh this Christmas? What about Christmas morning? As you sit around the tree, you're unwrapping presents, what will you do? Dads, will you lead your family to think about the word made flesh? That God was giving grace instead of grace. He was putting an end to religion as we know it. Jesus Christ gave himself so that you might come to him. Friends, if you do not know him, I encourage you to turn to him today. Before you leave, turn to him. He only has grace to offer you. He only has more of himself to offer you. And, and, and when you sin and repent of your sin and turn to him, there will only be more grace there at the bottom for you. So what will you do with Jesus, the word made flesh? God has, has come to make himself known as far as the curse is found. And he's done it in the person of Jesus Christ. Embrace him today. Let's pray. Father,